Like, that's what I think where I start to feel like kind of uncomfortable because I'm like, dang, I would have gotten totally roped into this shit. Like, you can't remotely try to. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to (laughs) say, well, you didn't hear what my joke was going to be. Not me. (laughs) Not me. He doesn't have a beard. I wouldn't give him a second look. Welcome back to Feminist Fiends and Quarantine Queens. Well, I guess, oh, we are quarantining. I was going to say, we thought about changing the our name since we weren't quarantining anymore, but with this new Delta variant, you have tons of time to listen to all our past episodes. Oh, baby. Yeah. But yeah, we took a short break and um, we're back. We're back. <laughs> um, and we're back with some more episodes in the coming weeks for y'all. Yeah, we're back. We took a little hiatus. Um, much needed. We've had a lot going on in both of our lives. Um, but we missed doing this with each other. And we missed y'all, our little strong but mighty audience, our court jesters. <laughs> missed ya. Um, I know, I was getting so energized prepping for today's episode. So um, I'm stoked. I'm glad to be back. Um, happy August. We're in the thick of summer. It's I, hot. It's hot. It's hot as heck i am now living in washington dc officially long time coming uh, yeah finally moved out of my parents house don't have a lot in ways of updates apart from that um Peyton and i saw each other in person um back in june may yeah. june june yeah on the cusp of may and june <laughs> yeah in like the end of may early june yeah we got to see each other and give each other little hugs we went to swanee and i ran into my favorite professor and cried to him it was the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to me um shout out professor mcdonald if you're listening <laughs> <laughs> i know you're not love you can send him the episode. No, no. I'm literally bullshit <laughs> just talking about him. I love him so much. Okay, okay, okay. Hey, do you got any got any updates you want to share? Um, so yeah, I'm still living in my parents' house. Shout out my parents' house. Love it. Um, still working at my job, really enjoy it. And um, I've really grown to love Birmingham as a city. I always said, like growing up, I was that girl. Well, it's the Enneagram four in me who was like, I'm never moving home. I'm so cool and special. I'm gonna go travel the world. Um, but yet yeah, here I am still living in my parents' house in my childhood bedroom and working in my brother's childhood bedroom. And I'm like really happy and I really like my job and my friends and the city I'm in definitely do, you know, I could see myself in Birmingham for another year or so, but I'm definitely not the person that wants to live here for the rest of my life. The world's too big to explore, but for the time being, like I'm happy. Yeah. Happiness is all that matters, really. Yeah. And at least you have the work-life balance of getting to go from your bedroom to your brother's bedroom. Yes. That's <laughs> so important. Having an office, even though it's decorated with Huge. my very successful brother's math team trophies and football plaques. Um, Motivation. It's very nice. It's honestly nice. Well, I got a new desk and I'm trying to do this thing where I put new flowers on my desk each week. That's just like a little treat myself way. I've been getting, oh, they're not looking too good right now, but I've been getting, I've been like getting flowers at Trader Joe's and doing yes. little arrangements. Like yes, every, same. It depends on how long I can get them to last. Usually it's like two weeks if they're, if they're, if they're mighty. Oh my gosh, um, I'm looking so, over at like, the ones on my bedside table and they are looking like they've seen better days, but they were looking really nice. I can send you a little pic. They were looking really nice at the beginning of, um, I don't know, whenever, two weeks ago, whenever I got them, they're, they've seen better days. I but don't know how women like straight up do that as like in the olden days, they had like, you know, flower arranging classes. Um, that's hard. It's hard. I'm bad at it. I, yeah, I feel lucky. Pate, we can do it over Zoom sometime. I feel lucky because I worked for my aunt. Fun fact, everyone, for those of you who don't know, I worked for my aunt. Um, shout out to Tina if you're listening, who is a gardener um, or a garden designer for two years. She owns her own business um, and um, got to got to arrange. It wasn't often like flowers in a vase that I was arranging. I was arranging like pots. 
um, every mm-hmm. once in a while with her, with her guidance and support. So um, really fun experience. And I feel like it's uh, taught me about like, l- like layering and yeah, I was color arrangement say. and things like that. But I definitely well, still have ways to go and I definitely do screw it up still. But I think it's all about just like figuring out. It also is totally on your preference. Oh my God, wait, quick. While we're talking about flowers. Um, did, you, did you see the episode of The Bachelorette where Greg and Katie had to do flower? They did flower arrangements together. It was on their second date. No, I kind of like didn't watch the first few episodes of them. No, but it wasn't an early one. It was the second date. So it was like one of the last ones, one on ones. It's totally fine if you don't remember this. They were like, but like they were supposed to be like going to Seattle together and they were. Oh, and they like threw the fish. Greg's, yeah. Greg's flowers were gorgeous and Katie's were ugly. They were so ugly. Girl, you can't stop talking about Greg. Mm. Mm. But I got beef with Greg now, but we'll Mm. talk more about that um later but um, anyways we nice way our, to segue yeah into our pop culture roundup pop culture roundup so y'all we have a bit um just to give you some background we have a bit new structure to this uh we took a little hiatus and we're back and we got some new structure so we're gonna start each episode with a pop culture roundup and then talk about something else we'll see yeah um yeah you start with okay. the with the not juicy that is inappropriate Mm -mm. for me to say not just like very um hot topic issue hot topic issue okay so recently um the new york state attorney general letitia james investigators found that andrew governor andrew cuomo sexually harassed 11 women the governor has refused to step down. He is now facing a criminal investigation and President Biden has asked him to step down, um, which is really big. And uh, basically, Attorney General Latidia James said, quote, I believe these 11 women, um, as she revealed the report findings, Charlotte Bennett, who is one of the um, victim survivors and other victim survivors, but she spoke out publicly on Twitter saying that they don't want an apology. They want accountability and to end the end to victim blaming. Um, I don't know, Pete, if you, I, I sent it to you. I don't know if you had a chance to watch it, but well, obviously I'll start by saying like, we stand with the victim survivors of the situation. Like Andrew Cuomo is gross and needs to be held accountable. And like already has been in some messy shit throughout the pandemic. And like, to be honest, with some of that stuff, I was like giving him the benefit of the doubt probably more than I needed to. But like, this is just like something where I'm just like, not cool with it. Um, I mean, more than not cool with it. I'm pissed. But um, I don't know if you saw his apology video. Do you have thoughts? I know I do. I didn't have a chance to watch it. That's okay. I came straight here from Basically, where I was. No, you're good. Basically, what he says is he's like, because all of these like photos were then circulating of him, and videos of him like greeting um, people with like kisses. And he's like, this is how like on the cheek or like holding their faces. And he's like, this is how I've always greeted them. This is like my, my thing. And I'm just like, mm. like this, like that's like, I, I just feel like we need to, we need to like get, on the same page as a country and as a world about what consent looks like. I mean, like kissing young girls on the cheek is like not acceptable. Yeah, Um, I would be freaked if someone did that to me. And I just feel like this is like, I mean, we, I feel like we are just like proven time and like, like history has proven time and time again that um, Andrew Cuomo's kind of a sleazeball and that um like I mean I'm really glad that the attorney general is taking this stance that she is because I feel like historically we have given this a pass like and I I also think Biden coming out and speaking out is huge like this needs to I don't know I'm just hoping basically this is just a recap of what's going on but um, I'm hoping that we see we see a um, we see him step down a resignation. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with everything you say, and I also think it's important to note that like it really doesn't matter which 
like political party someone identifies with if you sexually harass people you need to be held accountable and I think a lot of people think that um you know a lot of I think some people might think that Democrats just went after like Trump because they hated Trump but we need to hold everyone accountable. It doesn't matter like which political party, if they agree with you, if they disagree with you um, and they need to be like, like I said, held accountable, but also have like a criminal investigation. Definitely. Um, And I think it doesn't matter how you vote. If you sexually assault someone, you're great. Oh, I'm a Democrat. And like it hypothetically would have voted for Cuomo if I lived in New York and I actually think because he is a Democrat, even more so, that's why we need to hold him accountable because we can't have this, this like double standard in terms of party and ways in which we hold people accountable. Basically, like if you commit misconduct, like you need to be held responsible. Like it's just not, it, it, it should be an, a, an apolitical issue. Like it should not be partisan. So um so that said, should we dive into our next piece? Yeah, we're talking about another creep who <laughs> I literally hate. Um, well, specifically how Britney Spears is, you know, still... We don't hate Britney Spears. No, 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 sorry. We love Britney. But Britney there are Spears, creeps engaged with Britney. Or, yeah. yeah, Britney Spears has creeps in her life who are, like, forcing her to get an IUD um, yet Bill Cosby, like, sexually assaulted and raped numerous women, but, yeah, is, like, walking free um, from prison. And if that doesn't just show, like, how the justice system is put in place for men to succeed and for women to not, I don't think there's, like, a better example of that that we could, like, point to. Yeah, exactly. I, f- I feel completely the same. Like the patriarchy is certainly at play in both of these pieces. Um, in the case that, I guess, for those of you who, for whatever reason, don't know, um, Bill Cosby's conviction was overturned on July 1st. Um, the Me Too movement has spoken out about it. You can see that on their Twitter. Um, and yeah, and then Britney has broken since, since, we, since we covered the Free Britney documentary on um, in our 38th episode, um, since that happened, she's spoken out. And since we've been on our little hiatus, she's spoken out um, and broken her public silence over her conservatorship. I feel like some people were really thinking that like the reason why the conservatorship hadn't been overturned was Britney's silence. Like, I feel like that was a, that was an argument I had heard. And I'm like, okay, well now that she said something like, why is this still at a standstill? I mean, hopefully, um, hopefully I, I saw that basically her new lawyer on July 26 filed to remove her father, Jamie Spears as a conservator. And he's a pretty successful lawyer. He's worked with like Sean Penn and other big names. So I'm hoping that we see success there, but yeah, it's just fucked. Yeah. You, did you watch the Cosby show as a kid? No thankfully i did sorry I was a big big fan well, i'm sure there are plenty of like tv shows i watched as a kid that now have creeps on them oh drake and josh oh yeah drake and josh that's a whole thing so like apparently people care about this but like i super <laughs> do not um ben affleck and j-lo like i think it has to do with the fact that we weren't like our brains were not developed in 2004 when they were the it couple because um, like <laughs> if Miley Cyrus and like um, Nick Jonas are dating I would think that's or Miley deal. and Liam if they got back together again oh my gosh that would be such a big deal but such I just a like, big deal when they got back together the first time I was when like, they got Ugh. married yeah that was so beautiful oh no you know what I would lose my shit about <laughs> oh my god paint your face Justin Bieber and Selena Gomez getting back together I would oh die. I don't know how excited I would be about that um because well I'm on like Justin and Selena TikTok and so like <laughs> Um, that's just essentially like on like Valentine's Day, 
Justin was going through Instagram and liked um, a Selena Gomez and him edit. What? And like, it shows like all the videos of him being mean to Hailey Bieber, which is like a whole nother thing. He's like really mean to his wife. Okay, I have heard about that. Like the, him like getting out of the car and like shutting the door. Yes. Yeah, and like he'll yell at her and I don't know, it's sus. But apparently he like goes and likes TikToks and Instagrams of like edits of him and Selena. And I don't know if you've seen Selena recently, but she's like thriving. Like she's I see her on TikTok. But she's like I'm just so, on Selena TikTok. I'm not on Jelena TikTok. Well, also I never realized how good good of style Selena Gomez has. She's like invited to all the Met Galas and stuff. Mm-hmm. Has Justin Bieber gone to a Met Gala? I don't think so. Probably. Anyways, the whole point of this is that the it couple from the 2000s, besides um Jennifer and Brad. Um, are back together but I honestly don't like Ben Affleck because he cheated on his wife with the nanny how do Mm. you cheat on Jennifer what's her name you know the girl in 13 going on 30 oh yeah um hold on I'm looking at I'm looking Jennifer Garner it was on the tip of my tongue Jennifer Garner how do you cheat on her with your nanny like grow up yeah um so I just like don't like him. I don't it's care. It's also cliche to cheat on someone with the nanny. Like, don't cheat with the nanny. It's cliche. Don't don't cheat. Um, don't cheat. Don't, but like, don't, don't cheat, cheat with the, on nanny. the nanny. I'm not pro cheating for the record. But at the same time, as much as I don't care and don't like Ben Affleck, I do want to say like, even people in their fifties deserve love, and like, oh, you shouldn't 100%. shame like people because like they're off on like a yacht smooching like they have every right to do that I just like don't like Ben Affleck and I don't care I mean I'm glad they're happy whatever live your truth I don't know why I don't care and don't like it but like live your truth um I will say that JLo was the last concert I went to before the pandemic hit oh isn't that funny she on her 50th birthday she okay oh my God, she was so hot it was awesome she is hot like but, literally such a fun concert we were in the nosebleeds at the capital one arena here in dc she really is like one of the most beautiful women ever like her oh, yeah. and jennifer and she's aniston so entertaining like and i realized there were so many j-lo songs that i knew like i'm happy for j-lo i just don't and i'm glad she's not with a-rod anymore that never made sense to me really i thought they were kind of like power couple they're gonna take I'm over the world keep, i also i just never got the sense that they i just never got the sense that they were in love like they mm-hmm. definitely were a power couple and i think it was a good business decision and like i can respect that but i don't think that they were in love which i do think JLo and ben are in love i just don't care <laughs> yeah um i love lil nas x he's a marketing genius he Protect took a one hit wonder and has turned it into like he'll be I don't know. Did he win a Grammy? I think he won a Grammy, but he's doing great. He has at least like th- three really big songs now, and his yeah. album is gonna. Or it, does he have an album out yet? No, he had an EP like two. But once his album ago. comes out, people are gonna freak out. Um, fuck the baby. I will say. Yeah, that's. So and any other homophobes out there? Um, can't listen to levitating. Also, in the, same. the whole yeah, no, which sucks because I love that song. But Me too. Um, the whole attitude, I feel like so much shit I'm seeing now is like, and this is such a classic, this is completely anti-feminist, homophobic. It's such a classic argument against like all movements, to be honest. But like the argument that like, oh, kids might see this. It relates to Britney, like what she talked about. Mm-hmm. In the She's like, I'm not your babysitter. Same for Lil's not, Lil Nas X. He's not your babysitter. Like parents have a responsibility to prevent their kids from seeing things that they're too young to see. Personally, I think representation of sexuality is a positive thing, but I also understand if you don't want your children to see blatant nudity or like someone dancing with Satan, but also these are like, whatever, but like parents have a responsibility to like check things before their children see them. If they're going to have an opinion about it, otherwise it's your own damn fault. It's like, do you have a problem with um, the Black Eyed Peas? Do you have a problem with, like, Fergie London Bridge? Because right. that song, she's grinding up against, um, a, you know, like a 
British soldier. I watched that video all the time. That was like probably my sexual awakening as a child. The problem with the internet is like parents are never going to know what their kids are actually on. And like, for sure, that's scary. And that's why kids shouldn't have access to, I mean, you have parental controls. Like kids shouldn't have access to the internet until like they're old enough to. Right. Or like block YouTube, block like all these other things, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, ultimately you can't completely protect it, but like, it's not these artists' responsibility. Mm-hmm. and like it's been so heteronormative like naked women or like like women dancers being very promiscuous which like we obviously support yeah. if you want to do that like, um but that's also like been so large and like especially the rap community I feel like you like pull up um any like music video and that's the case like women are dancing like that but like you don't see that on the news and people aren't like having pitchforks about like my children might see that yeah they might they might see like Lil Nas X's music video but they also might see Flo Rida or I don't know right. I can't think of anyone else like top Jason of my head. Derulo yeah I think and- other people Robin Thicke remember that oh my gosh Miley um I literally I will saw titties in that with- music video straight up Straight, Straight up. up. So why aren't we af- like I don't know. And also, I saw this. Um, I saw a statistic that said like by or I don't know whatever a fact that by like on average, um, the average like queer identifying child like knows by age twelve that they are queer identifying. So oh, interesting. By then, they should have some exposure, and I think sooner than that if they're going to just like if we're going to normalize this and like love and accept our young people and our queer brothers and sisters and siblings. <laughs> um, but, all right. Should we deep dive? Yeah, let's deep dive. So I okay. don't feel all holier than thou. Um, so this week we're talking about the male gaze. We've referenced this a lot, but we've never done like a deep dive of it. Um, and of course we're going to, as we already have been going to continue analyzing things through a pop culture lens a feminist um and a feminist lens in pop culture um but we're gonna talk about the male gaze so Paige do you want to share the definition yeah um as good college well like we graduated college a long time ago a year um but we we can't talk about how long ago it was i mean we still like to cite our um yesterday technically we haven't graduated yet okay um anyways disregard nelly's comment um of that i can see my diploma it's sitting on my floor i still have it it's framed but not hanging up anyways so this definition is taking from the oxford language So the male gaze is defined as the perspective of a notionally typical heterosexual man considered as embodied in the audience or intended audience for films and other visual media characterized by a tendency to objectify or sexualize women. And do you want to talk about? Yeah. So Laura Mulvey first coined the term um, male gaze in 1975 in a world ordered by sexual imbalance pleasure and looking has been split between active or male and passive or female so as a kind of tool to unpack the male gaze this week we're going to be talking about psycho which is um a classic Mm -hmm. um a film by sir alfred hitchcock that was released in 1960. It stars um, Janet Lee, John Gavin, and Anthony Perkins. Um, and actually, this is a pretty, this movie, or I'm excited that we're unpacking this film because it's close to my heart because it's one of like the first films that I kind of unpacked in this way. Um, I took a class when I was studying abroad in Granada, Spain called Women in Mediterranean Film. And this was the first movie we did. And it was like really... It was also the first time I'd ever seen Psycho was like in a classroom setting, which is crazy, but it's because I'm a wimp and I knew I would be scared, but now it doesn't scare me. <laughs> um, That's but, good. But I guess before, do, should I dive into the summary? What, what's best, Paige? Do you want to give some th- initial Well, thoughts? I would quickly, before we do the summary of Psycho, um, 
think it's important to talk about other examples just like lightly where it might be because even though psycho was like you could argue well psycho was in the 1960s like that's so old and outdated it's still the male gaze is so present not only Mm -hmm. in film in today's society but like any literature any like art just like the world in general Mm -hmm. um so like something that I've started doing recently is I'm watching the Marvel movies in chronological order. Um, and Nellie and I were discussing this the other day when we were catching up and like Scarlett Johansson's the black widow character um, is just so grossly like abused in my opinion with the male gaze, just in the sense of like the first movie she's in, she is strictly there for like the male gaze to like view her in a sexual nature um the first avengers movie she's just like like you look at the posters that advertise this movie and she like all the male characters are like you know normal and she is wearing this like extremely tight bodysuit her hair is done perfectly her makeup's done perfectly um and it's also that like men can enjoy like this action movie while also having a hot individual to look at um but then also like a, a win about this is through the movies she becomes less sexual her clothes become less tight it's not all of, she's not like posing for the camera where you can see like her butt because in the first movie, it was, like, constantly showing her, like, boobs and her butt. Um, and now to the point where she has her own featured film. And, like, this is a small win, but, like, her hair is in a ponytail. Because you can't ask a woman to save the world with her hair down. It's impossible. You can't run with your hair down. I don't care who you are. She has her hair in a ponytail. She's not wearing skin-tight clothing. She actually has character development. Um, and it's kind of sad to say this is a win because that should be what we expect for women characters. And I don't care if you think a superhero like franchise is male dominated. Well, that would just like make me argue that, well, then we need to teach men like women characters aren't just for your sexual pleasure. They're like for the character arc because women are people. They're not just sexual beings. Right. No, I mean, there was such a, um, when you mentioned hair, that's why I was like, <gasps> because I've been rewatching um, One Tree Hill and which is like my favorite show of all time, fun fact. Um, but I, they're basically the three main girls who were on that show are three main actresses, women. Um, they are like doing a podcast now and they've been like ranting about how like when they were cheerleaders in the show they always had their hair down but like they were like if you are like like doing stunts like you wouldn't have your hair down like you would have your hair pulled up like also I was thinking about when you were saying this too like she's the man like whenever she's playing soccer as violet her hair is down i'm like why would your hair be down when you're playing soccer literally have you seen the world cup no one has (laughs) their hair down no one has or they like literally don't have long hair yeah like like yeah so i mean it's just things where i'm like this is unrealistic and it's for the purpose of like men Mm -hmm. um but thank you for sharing that paid i think yeah and then i think also you know like Disney princess movies example yeah like especially the early ones yeah I'm trying to think I think anything where we're watching a woman sleep (laughs) is like an invasion of privacy and that Mm -hmm. is like and there's like an element of like I I think the gaze and what we can talk we can talk more of this about this with psycho but it's not only sexualization but it's like an invasion of privacy and like a power dynamic Mm-hmm. So I think like Sleeping Beauty is a huge example. Um, I mean, Snow White for the same reason. Yeah. I don't know why the whole, the whole, like all Disney plot points are like a woman is asleep and then a man. Yeah. Saves. I mean, just the whole saving element too. And ja- Princess Jasmine and how she's sexualized. I like, love Jasmine. I mean, she's I love her. I also feel like you y'all know I love talking about the cool girl trope but like how the the cool girl girl trope is like men writing their idealized women characters where the male gaze in media is like men creating their ideals idealized female characters on the screen and how they would like to view women and like like we're going to talk about in psycho like just a little 
just a little hint. Like women, when they're getting stabbed to death, they don't look hot. I don't know if that's like a spoiler <laughs> alert for anyone, but yeah, you know, I mean, I think people idealized. that's the shower scene is so iconic. If you don't know oh, that that's happening, in it's this an movie. iconic. No, no, um, I'm not saying a spoiler alert for the movie. I'm saying a spoiler alert if you ever saw the- a woman die <laughs> and you're confused that she doesn't look hot while you're stabbing her. Um, sorry that you also don't need to romanticize murder. (laughs) I don't know. Tee like, let's not romanticize. (laughs) Anyways, Uh, Billy, would you like to tell us the plot of Psycho? I would love to. Um, I do want to say because this movie is uh iconic and a classic. Um, obviously, like, I don't feel bad for spoiling it because, like, you should have seen it already, but also, um, if you haven't, I suggest you pause the podcast and go rent it and watch it. Um, because I'm about to give you some spoilers, and there's a lot of like, I don't know, turns in this movie, so you definitely Mm -hmm. like. Like, I would suggest watching it and digesting it. Um, Psycho begins with the camera entering a window to a man standing over a woman while she lies on a bed in only her bra. We learn from their dialogue that their names are Sam and Marion, and they are having an affair that is secret from their families and friends. Sam is leaving to go home to Fairville, and they talk about the possibility of being together one day. Then Marion goes to work and interacts with her coworkers and customers. One customer sits on her desk and talks about buying off unhappiness for his daughter with a $40,000 house. He gets right in her face from a high angle and flirts with her. Marion's boss asks her to take the money to the bank and she says she wants to go home afterwards because she does not feel well. Instead of taking the money to the bank, she takes it home and packs a bag and leaves. As she is driving, her boss sees her in her car. She continues to drive away and stops to sleep on the side of the road. A police officer spots her and says it is not safe to be doing that, but he also suspects that she is up to no good, so he follows her. She buys a car with cash in Los Angeles and then continues on her way. While she is driving and it is raining, she discovers that she cannot see, so she stops at a building marked Bates Motel. There she meets Norman Bates, who welcomes her and shows her her room and insists on making her something to eat. He watches her eat a sandwich and reveals that he does taxidermy. They get in a bit of a heated discussion about his mother, who is old and ill. Then she says she must go to bed, so she leaves. He watches her undress through a hole in the wall. Creepy. Um, She takes a shower and then we see the famous shower scene where she is murdered, which we just talked about. Um, Shortly following, we hear Norman yelling, mother, mother, blood. Norman cleans up the mess and dumps Marion's car with her body and belongings belongings in it into the lake following this we watch marion's sister sam and a detective try to figure out what happened to her the detective comes to ask norman questions and afterwards he goes up to the house to speak to mrs bates and he is murdered sam and sam and lila um who is um her sister is it lila layla lila um Sam and Lila then go out to the motel and ask for a room. They try to inspect everything and Lila goes up to the house to ask the mother some questions. She walks about the house and as she discovers a corpse in the cellar, Norman appears dressed as an old woman with a butcher knife. Luckily, Sam grabs Norman before he can kill Lila. We learn afterward that Norman has a split personality of himself and his mother mother, and that he killed Marion as well as the two other girls. And of course, the detective as well and his mother as well. We can infer. We don't know that for sure, but we can infer. So yeah, that's a little summary. I think we could like broadly talk about like instances where we see the male gaze in this movie and how that like affects the overall like implication of it because like yeah I think because it's it's kind of tough because this is like a classic movie so I still think it's like enjoyable even though you do see how like often the male gaze is in play and but I also think like we can't necessarily excuse the fact that it was made in the 60s even though it does kind of like the male gaze was so, 
prevalent and everything back then. Um, but I still think it's available to critique. I mean, I totally agree, but I think you could also argue that it's like a commentary on power dynamic. Like, I feel like it's pretty- Oh, absolutely. Like, um, like, I think as long as you watch it with an informed eye, which I'm sure many people are not, but even still, like, you see the ways in which um, toxic masculinity are at play. But I think, yeah, like, do you want to share some examples of the yeah. times where we really see the male gaze? Well, yeah, I'd also like to add that I watched a video about how there's literally this movie is full of bird symbolism, especially like to represent the predator and prey vibes. Um, I love that Hitchcock I just used vibes. Loves his bir- <laughs> vibes. Hitchcock loves his birds too. Yeah. This is a predecessor to the birds. So I think um, specifically like, well, something I found very interesting is the kind of the internal dialogue that, oh my gosh, I'm very bad at like remembering the names of the characters, <sighs> even though they're like very important. So Marion, when she's having that internal dialogue about the money and like her choice to steal that, like the camera is like focused purely on her face and she's a very beautiful woman. There is no doubting that. And so I I just think that's like very interesting how I think the difference between like the male gaze and maybe a more artistic choice would be like, why does this woman who's in distress, who just like stole money, who is like on the run, she's like, still so pretty while she's like having a mental breakdown um that's like one of the not the first instance because I think the very first shot of the movie is an example of the male gaze and I know you're going to talk about that yeah I think like the positioning of Marion and Sam at the very beginning it's kind of like and maybe this is because the first time I watched it it was like through this lens but it's pretty like it's it kind of takes me aback like I'm literally Mm -hmm. like why like he is standing up and like looking straight down like he is not even remotely on her level um and I feel like that like I feel like that is very intentional um and in that case it's like Sam's gaze on Marion and and I think like that positioning like is pretty paralleled to kind of like the gender hierarchy and the way that like we approach um or review gender as a society or, or historically have. Um, I think it's interesting in the case of like the way I talked, the way I learned about this um, in my, in my Mediterranean film class, even though this is not a Mediterranean film, but it was like the introduction to the class. Like we use this as kind of our basis and then did more that were local to where I was, but this is simply not a Mediterranean film. I just want to name that. Cause people yeah, I was going to say, oh, why'd you say wow, that? Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, no, I can tell you some, if people need recs, I can tell you some of the other ones we did. Um, But we use this as kind of like a template, I guess, or like an example of how we were going to like analyze film. But when we talked about like, basically there are the way my professor framed it was like, there are three gazes. There's the director's gaze, the character's gaze and the spectator's gaze, which is like our gaze. Um, And I feel like in the case of And like what you were talking about with camera angles, like that would be an example of the director's gaze and like those choices. But then also like there are times where the camera is very much like a, like our perspective, like when we're moving in through the blinds at the very beginning as well, like that is what we're talking about in terms of like active versus passive. Like we are moving, like we are invading the privacy there and like have the gaze on Marion. But like an example of the director's gaze is like the way that the camera is angled in the shower. Again, like an Mm -hmm. invasion of privacy, but like not as active, if that makes sense. So, but in the case of this particular first scene with Sam and Marion, like that's a character's gaze. And I think that's the one that's like most easily identified in movies. I mean, I guess like the like general just sexualization of women um, in society as a whole is very much the spectator's gaze. Like if you think about um, 
I don't know, like Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like that's for the the male gaze. Um, yeah. I also think um, when Marion and Norman are having dinner and their body language and positions kind of shift because at first like he's reflecting her body language in the sense of like he's laid back and also the video I watched talked about like the certain birds used in that scene um when he's like kind of standing up and like speaking about his mother that's like another shift in the power dynamic because like Miriam is still sitting down and Norman's standing up and when he's standing up in the background you see like owls kind of behind him and that's supposed to represent like he in this moment is acting like a prey just like an owl is a prey and so I also just oh interesting yeah I and I also thought about like I think the positions of how the characters are sitting are very important in like expressing how the power dynamic or how the director wants us to know the power dynamic is and so I think so often especially like men want to be the ones standing in the room because it gives them more power and so I think that's an example of what you were talking about how it's like a critique on you know how we view power and how we view like gender because I think Norman who is like this really like sick and twisted guy who thinks he has this power is like attempting to have it over this woman character and so by doing that he's like standing up so that he thinks that he is the one in power but um you know I don't know how I was gonna end that thought but that's just another example of how I saw it uh because I also felt like he was kind of toying with her in that since like when he like tells her like doesn't he say something about she eats weird or she She eats eats like a bird she eats like a bird yeah I thought that was so weird especially like when you compare women to animals you're a freak yeah yeah absolutely I I want to circle back to what you were saying about Marion's gaze in particular and I think like meaning like her face when she's like having this kind of internal dialogue um because I think like her her eyes in particular like her gaze is not strong and so this kind of plays into the like active passive thing like she doesn't really have like I think her gaze does strengthen as she's driving but ultimately like ultimately she is the one being gazed upon as opposed Mm -hmm. to like her like like I think about like the police officer like he he like finds her on the side of the road and she's sleeping and then he like kind of leans into a lot of like leans into the patriarchy and is like you it's not safe for you to be traveling alone and it's like you should have a motel you shouldn't just be sleeping on the side of the road which like granted that's not really safe for anyone to be doing that but it's like again like he's mansplaining um also the mansplainer who's like leaning over her desk and like talking about like buying like buying off unhappiness and I mean granted she she takes his advice and she just runs with his money so secure your bag sis but um but basically like I think like we really do see we really do see like most of these male characters being active and Marion being passive um and that like she is like the focal point of the male gaze but also I feel like there's like a weird kind of um and, and I would love your, to hear your thoughts. I'm, this is just kind of coming up organically now as I'm thinking of it. I feel like there is like a kind of victim blaming like energy in the way that the like film presents Marion because like it's just kind of this idea that she gets what's coming for like c- coming, coming to her, coming for her. Mm-hmm. She gets um, what's coming for her she gets what's coming. What, like she got what she deserved she got what she deserved because she's like traveling alone and like making and like stealing money like basically it's like a karma piece but then like I feel like there's a, a stereotype perpetuated through Lila um both in the case that like like in the way that Sam interacts with her and that she's not really capable of being like taking care of herself 
And also I feel like we as an audience are meant to like really empathize and sympathize with her, but not really for Marion. Like I think, I think in, in our internalized misogyny could be like, oh, well, Marion like was making some risky moves. She should have known like kind of deal. Like I well, think we could really walk that line. Yeah. I mean, I want, I wanted to bring this up in the sense of, I think the point about like, did she get what she deserved? Cause she was like traveling alone. I hadn't thought about that. And I think that's a really good point and thing to think about. But um, I think we talked about this in one of our women and gender studies classes, but like the idea that oftentimes in like literature or film women are the victims of violence and it is because they quote unquote need to be punished or need to be taught a lesson it makes me think about little women when joe's told like if the main character isn't married by the end of the film she has to die um Mm -hmm. almost like any woman in like early film essentially I feel like if they did something bad they weren't able to be redeemed they had to die and I think 100% in this case like Marion steals that money and instead of being able to like return that and like have a character arc and like face that like the real consequences to her actions which would have been like jail time um she's murdered and like not like she wasn't murdered because of that I think in the sense of like because she's a woman who did something bad we had to punish her just like women are punished in society um by like like culture and like culture norms and so in this instance like she had to die because she was a woman who did something bad and I think that's also just an example of men wanting power and men wanting to like have that ability to like stifle a woman and like punish her because it gives them like this this like godlike feeling honestly yeah no in this case and this was like one of the questions that we used like when analyzing these films in my class like it was like is 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 women's agency or power punished or rewarded and in this case like her agency is certainly punished um like if she had been passive or subservient, like this would not have happened. And so ultimately that's kind of like the message or the commentary that the film is making. Any more stuff we want to talk about with with, with uh, regard to the male gaze? Should we talk about the shower scene real quick? Yeah, let's do it. Um, yeah, so if you haven't seen the movie, you've probably seen this clip in just in your life because it's probably one of the most iconic scenes like in the shower film. yeah um so marianne is in the shower like completely naked obviously because <laughs> um and it's just like this very sexual scene where she's just like enjoying a good shower we love to shower and then all of a sudden you see this like shadowy figure in the background and they pull the curtain back and it's this old woman. You don't see her face, but you see like her hair and her outfit. And she's got her a bun, knife. Her low bun, and which she, I'm rocking. Oh yeah. Nellie looks like um, Norma. <laughs> Not Norman. <laughs> Not Norman. Well, Norman's Norman. mother. <laughs> oh, well, technically Norman. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, this old woman figure stabs uh, Marion until she dies. And frantically, it's like the music is just <laughs> haunting and you can hear like the dull thud of the knife yeah. slicing skin sorry trigger warning i like we'll put mad trigger warnings at the top i like of horror episode. movies so hopefully that wasn't too graphic anyways and so yeah marion dies and you see like her you don't see like explicitly her body but you see like you know a lot of it and then you see like the blood in the sink and she like slowly falls down the the tiles and like looks very sexual as she dies um and that's how she's murdered also such a like yeah I I think I go back to like the invasion of privacy piece like I feel like we're invading privacy by watching someone die like that's Mm -hmm. not something I am trying to see but um 
yeah, her face is like very expressive. Pete, you're so funny. You're like, yeah, so Marion dies. <laughs> <laughs> the end. <laughs> the end. Um, but yeah. I also love like I love movies where like something like that happens and then it's kind of like a mis- like a murder mystery like mm-hmm. for the remainder of the film like I do just like I I don't know for sure that this I imagine it was kind of the first movie of this kind of I don't know template I I'm, I'm a big fan yeah but, but yeah I think that's the male gaze in action like, right there yeah like literally the male gaze for a murder it's the perfect like definition of what that is 100%. Well, this was a nice little, um, I mean, I don't even know. I mean, it was a deep dive, but I feel like we still have so such ways to go in terms of the mm-hmm. male gaze. So we certainly will be talking about more going forward. And I know that you want to talk a bit about the female gaze going forward. So we'll get that up on deck. Um, I don't know if you want to speak to any of that now, but, or it could just be like, plug, we'll be doing that at some point. <laughs> yeah, we'll be doing that at some point. I think the female gaze will be a really interesting topic of conversation because I think the male gaze honestly went like was a thing for so long without us recognizing it that now we can kind of combat that with the female gaze and I think especially with um Greta Gerwig like Greta Gerwig I think she's becoming really famous and like female directors are really I mean there's still a long way to go but you can tell a difference in their films. And I think that's really interesting. And I think it would be a hot topic conversation. Also, I'd be remiss if I didn't say this, but I put it in my notes. Like, I low-key think that Norman is my type. Nelly. <laughs> Literally don't fucking say that. You think a murderer? No, not like the things he's doing. I'm not like, oh yeah. I just think he's like, I... And I don't remember feeling this way when I watched Is it. Is he when hot? I was yes. When he like comes on the screen, I'm like, damn, Norman. Yeah, he's hot. He's hot. But I, don't think okay. I thought he was hot the first time I watched it. Dude, I want to have a conversation one time about this is the true crime lover in me coming out. There is a really well, I was gonna say, like, there it's like a really hot topic conversation about like, is it okay to say people like Ted Bundy and Richard Ramirez are attractive. We should let's like talk about it. Let's talk about that right now, or in a, I think I think another time. I think another time because I have a lot of feelings into it. Because it's I would like love so- to talk about that Ted Bundy movie with Zac Efron. I don't know. I just honestly feel weird even admitting that these like men who like raped and murdered people are attractive, but at, at the same time, I am someone who believes like physical appearance. And, like, being attractive should be just as normal as, like, being nice or being funny. Like, I feel like we as a society care way too much about physical appearance. Mm -hmm. But I think, like, it's okay for me to be, like, I'm not the prettiest girl in the room. And I think for so long we we hear that and we, like, think that we need to be, like, oh, my gosh, no, you're so pretty. But it's, like, it's okay to be, like, hey, I'm not. I'm not the most attractive because attractiveness is not the most important quality I'm looking for. It's like we're afraid of the word fat when like it is a very normal word. And Um, so if if we should use it in a negative way, but yeah, it's like, but if I think like attractiveness should just be like a normal quality, shouldn't I be able to be like, yes, that murder is attractive, but he's also a horrible person. Well, I also think, yeah, I think you should be able to do that. But I also think that what made Ted Bundy successful isn't the right word but for him it was his success like I mean he was successful because he was attractive well and because I think his attractive trends or his like attract people's attraction to him transcended into his personality as well like he was an Mm -hmm. incredibly charismatic person so I think it wasn't just like that's what I think where I start to feel like kind of uncomfortable because I'm like dang I would have gotten totally roped into this shit like you can't me. remotely try to <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say <laughs> well you didn't hear what my joke was gonna be I was gonna not be like, me <laughs> not me he doesn't have a beard I wouldn't give him a second look yes he does yes he Wait, does really he, yes shit he does. hold on there's Ted a Bundy he has like a pretty thick with beard. a beard right or is that no, am I getting him up girl, you're thinking Manson? like Charles Manson whatever well then you would have been a Manson Manson sister what is it oh wait 
I'm looking at Ted Bundy with a beard now. <laughs> How did we get here? <laughs> oh You're like, not me. <laughs> now here you are being like, he's sexy. Oh, God. That should be, like, the opening. Like, if... Cold open. <laughs> People are going to be like, what? I thought this was about Psycho. Um, uh, okay. Are we good to wrap it up? Basically, the male gaze is prevalent everywhere. Be on the lookout. <laughs> Now I'm looking at Charles Manson. You would think, well, he, I mean, all of these No, he, he's got crazy eyes. Yeah, I mean. Mm-hmm. No, and he's short. But I bet he's got. I'm also short. <laughs> My bae is short, too. Oh, Eddie's five, six and a half. Is he really? The army, what's it called? Measured him? Yeah. <laughs> Why was measuring him hard for you to think of? You go. <laughs> you know, because um, I was thinking weighed him. People think I'm really tall. People think I'm tall, Pete. I mean, you are shorter than me, but people think I'm tall. And I think I'm tall. Julia and I realized, well, we realized this when we were on the on Cape Cod for the 4th of July because I was like, I was like, yeah, I'm tall. Like, I was like, yeah, I'm tall. And Julia was like, we are the same height, which is true. Oh my God. Yeah. That makes, you do seem taller than Julia. But, that makes although sense. Although she's 5'3 and I'm like, I don't think I'm 5'3. I think I'm 5'4 or maybe 5'5. Five, five. But maybe I'm 5'3". Again, I don't know. You're not 5'3". Well, that's how I'm like 5'3". Well, maybe she... Maybe she... I'm 5'2". Yeah. Anyways, what's the feminist win of the week? Oh, do we want to just... Wait, is I'll there anything start. you want to wreck that you're watching right now? Or you're reading right now? Um, like or we I can said, skip I'm, that if we think it's stupid. I'm watching the Marvel movies amazing i'm watching sex in the city it's so fun i'm obsessed you're also kind of watching that with me rewatching. i'm watching it for the first time um also to put on deck i know we said this but we're gonna do a full bachelorette recap so yeah that's why we didn't talk about that right now but like i got some beef with greg so yeah what the fuck Greg? really was a big fan of him all season although he was whiny as fuck but we know that that's my type low-key so mm, greg wasn't my type doesn't have a beard i have a sad boy so is michael a your type yes <laughs> he's so cute i'm obsessed who do you think it's gonna michael be the bachelor a. say it now michael a i think it's gonna be andrew s oh my god i also love him I i'd be happy with that there well, what if some, what if it's like someone from katie and i was gonna say we're gonna fall in love with someone from michelle's season you know i know I know. I guess there's a while. It's not going to be until oh January. So Why did they do that to us? We'll ask um, if we end up having... Or someone from Bachelor in Paradise. Um, oh, my God. Okay. My feminist okay. win of the week. This is a new thing we're doing to end the um, high episode that we were just, you know, complaining about the patriarchy. We want to talk about a feminist oh, wait, win. Real quick. Yeah. Is psychofeminist. No. Well, I mean, no, but unless you're like looking at it from a, co- like a, from it, like a social commentary standpoint, you could argue yes, but I think straight up, no. Yeah, I agree. Only feminists from a critical eye. It's inherently anti feminist, enforces patriarchal stereotypes, and punishes women for having agency. But but also, if that was on purpose to if teach that was on lesson, purpose then like we stand a social commentary yeah i, I love yeah. satire psycho <laughs> <like a> satire <laughs> i love reductress <laughs> comment below comment on our instagram is is, is like satire that's so funny <laughs> <laughs> i should work for them because i'm so funny and hot yeah that would be great yeah great way to plug our podcast they could be a yeah um but yeah so feminist win back to that mm-hmm. um my feminist win of the week is of course our queen simone biles she just she continues to win she continues to win whether it's medals or whether it is like the stigma against mental health she is winning i think she's doing so much in the sport of gymnastics she like just by being herself she's brought so much awareness to gymnastics and like represents just greatness she is like I think the greatest of all time gymnast for our lifetime and I think 
she's doing more than just like bringing awareness to gymnastics, but she's bringing awareness to how we treat athletes and how we treat Mm -hmm. Olympians and like how mental health, it's not just like, you know, oh, I'm sad. I'm going to take a sick day. Like she really is teaching us like if your mental health is not good, like you could have like a life altering accident. And um, I think that is the most important lesson that we could learn as like spectators. 100%. 100%. Thanks for sharing that, Pete. You're welcome. It's a little bit more um, comical and perhaps less moving. That's okay. Um, but I, a feminist win. Um, the, so if y'all remember in, was this in the winter, in the fall? Who knows? When all the wildfires, I don't know. Time doesn't exist. We're in a global pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. When the California wildfires were happening or raging in the thick of the pandemic, um, that was that might have been a year ago at this point who knows um that was a result of a gender reveal party the california couple whose gender reveal party sparked that wildfire have been charged with 30 crimes and if you know me you know i hate gender reveal parties because they are uh patriarchal as fuck they're heteronormative as fuck and they enforce the binary um it's not a gender reveal party it's a sex assigned at birth party so um also i I was talking about this with someone like less from just like a like feminist rage perspective it's also just like why are we celebrating something that's just like pretty ordinary that people have been doing their whole life i can't remember or like that people have been doing since the beginning of time i don't know why all of a sudden we're celebrating this like this didn't used to be a thing it's like a new thing well it's also like I think it's because of social media. Yeah, people are because so I think like the way that weddings and engagements have spiraled now, it's like engagements are like solely for the purpose of Instagram. A hundred percent. I think I was talking about this with um, my aunt and uncle this past weekend. Um, where I think we I don't know how we ended up talking about gender reveal parties, but then I was also talking about engagements and I was like I, I think it puts way too, and again, like this is heteronormative, but in the case of a heterosexual relationship, oftentimes it is the man that is proposing. And I just feel like when it's like big and showy like that, I mean, in any relationship, but I feel like in this case, it just puts so much pressure on the women, on the women to please the man, <laughs> like, like publicly, you know what I mean? Like, I just feel like it being showy like that I don't know it puts a weird taste in my mouth whenever I see it I am like excited for them especially if it goes well but I feel like if I were put in that position and like was unsure I would 100% say yes just so Mm -hmm. I don't so I'm not villainized and then later I would be like no but that's it's shitty to be putting people in that position I just think it should be an intimate thing I don't really even want a photographer there yeah I definitely do that shit where I'm like here's my fucking hand like here's my ring like I'll be like we're engaged like I will do that shit like I don't want people to come for me if and when I'm engaged and like I'm posting a picture on Instagram but like I really do not want a lot of people there I do not want like I don't know and no not to yuck anyone's yum it just has always like made me feel icky no yuck their yum I mean, people can live their truth that they want, like, a big, I, like, even, like, the flash mob shit, also so much cringe shit I'm seeing on TikTok with, like, the, it's just tacky with, like, the, what do you think about, like, the entrances at weddings where they, like, do, like, a TikTok dance or oh, something? Oh, literally, I'm so, so tacky. So pissed. It's all about me, okay? And my husband, I guess. But. I mean, yeah. I also think, like, there's so many, like, wedding speeches that are so cringe to me. I'm like, am I, like, is there a world where I'm not cringed out at my wedding? I don't know. I do you hate kissing in front of people? No, I'm not worried about kissing. I mean, we'll see. But I don't think I'll be worried about that. I'm not worried about, like... I'm worried about, like, a speech being cliche. I'm worried about cliches. Like, I'm worried about speech being cliched. I'm worried about... I don't think... I think that the smearing cake on face is cliche. Oh. Like, bitch, I just spent I so much money to get my makeup done, and I look hot. I hate it. That. I hate it. That's anti-feminist. Because it's, it's always the men that's shoving cake in their wife's face. You know they're going to get a divorce. I get an annulment if you do that. But also, like, divorce, I know. Like, marriage didn't exist if you did that. I know whoever I marry is going to know me well enough to know that too. I will hate that. 100%. No, that's tacky as hell. Sorry, I'm mad now. 
Again, not to yuck anyone's yum if you want to smear. No, honestly, yuck that yum. Pete, it's cool girl shit to be like, yeah, smear cake on my face. It's like the most important day in my life. It's like, I don't care what I look like. I don't care what I look like. I'm a cool girl smear cake on my face. Like, no, that's not funny. Anyway, back to gender real parties. They're stupid. They enforce the binary. Like, we do not stand. If anyone I know invites me to one, sorry, I will not be attending. I will not be buying you a gift for this. I already have to go to your baby shower, which I will be happy to do. I'll be happy to meet your baby and, like, buy whatever shit you want me to buy from the registry. I'm not going to a gender reveal party. I think it's so stupid. Nellie's going to buy your baby a gender neutral color. I'm going to buy your baby a yellow onesie. Or a white. Or like a green, little purple. like gender genderless toy, and if you catch me doing this shit, mm. Mm. call her Cut out. Off, uh, uh-uh. uh, yeah, call me out. But it's a win that they're being held accountable for the environmental impacts that they've had. Also, that's feminist. Mm-hmm. I'm raging today. Anyways, you yeah, here at Feminist Fiends. Anyways, is there anything else we should talk about? No, but I love you. Oh my god, I love you. This was fun. I missed you. I missed you. Um, I hope if that everyone missed us, yeah. If y'all want to like come on the pod, give us a heads up. Yeah, and we're talking more broadly about like tropes, about shit that's going on in current events. Like, if you want to be there, come. We got you. We're doing this all on Zoom. Anyone's welcome yeah also stay safe out there like mask up i don't know Delta backs up this delta variant is no joke so stay safe court gestures this has been feminist fiends and quarantine queens see you next time Bye. bye